We are live again at the CVO Live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode. It's my pleasure to have here with me Adam Pierce from Blend Commerce. Hello, Adam, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Valentin. Lovely to be with you. Perfect. So, Adam, you've been one of the, let's say, early movers in the uh, in the CVO space. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about your agency and how you've decided to to jump on in the bandwagon of uh, CVO? Yeah, sure. So um, Blend Commerce, we've been around for about seven years now. And I think probably like a lot of agencies in the Shopify space, we started off with kind of doing um, new store builds or redesigning Shopify stores. You know, that was great for a while. Um, but we realized, obviously, that, you know, as we were growing, the kind of clients we were working with need something more. And like a lot of agencies, we then kind of progressed on to working on a retainer basis. And as a lot of you know, people will know if they're an agency or if they're a tech partner or, or a brand or a merchant, um, you know, working on a retainer basis um, is great because it means that you kind of have you know, specific things that you're going to do each month. Um, but I think the problem is that generally when it comes to design, development, marketing retainers, it tends to be a, be a bit of a race of we need to get so many hours done per month and we need to do these things um, because we essentially need to fill those hours. And what we kind of realized probably about a year and a half, two years ago, is that essentially what we were offering to clients wasn't really up to scratch. And what we said is that we were doing a lot of things for clients that were around customer experience. We realized that we were making the biggest impact there. And then there was this guy um, on LinkedIn who we'd known for a while who was talking about this CBO thing and we got more interested and we researched it and we were like, actually, this is what we need and this is what our clients need. So we kind of obviously, Valentin, you and I started talking. Um, we've obviously been working very closely over the past 12 months, really kind of nailing down what it is we're offering from a CBO perspective and obviously implementing it now uh, with kind of five or six clients. And I think, you know, what's been really interesting for me is, you know, as, as kind of, I guess, the head of the company is two things is one is actually the conversations we're having with our existing clients and new clients are very different and a lot more detailed about the business rather than the website, which I think, you know, is a, quite a big change when it kind of comes to agencies. And I think the other thing, too, is that actually the impact that we're able to have and that we're seeing is a lot different and when I say different, I mean a lot better in the sense that we're seeing the impact that we're making across all different elements of the business. And I think, you know, it's not only is it more fulfilling, I guess, kind of, you know, working through CDO is actually more beneficial for us, you know, from a, a company growth point of view, because we have a lot more to offer that we weren't offering before. So, yeah, you know, like you say, Valentin, we are, I guess, still relatively into our CDO journey, but we are, you know, loving what we're doing with clients, loving the work that we're working on and loving the impact we're making as well. Yeah, I think it's a, an important uh, an important aspect to, to address is that uh, CVO, it's also shifting the uh, the perception of the e-commerce owners towards uh, towards your agency. So what what have you noticed in uh, in from this regard, like uh, you, you've said already that the conversations with them are different, more about the business rather than the website tactical uh, uh, tactical improvement, but how they are perceiving you when, when you apply this model. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, look, we we deal mainly with e-commerce managers, e-commerce directors, um, and and obviously founders as well. And you know, the the thing that I always talk about with brands and with with managers is, look, are you is your success completely defined by your conversion rate? And the answer is always, well, no. You know, it's a lot more than that. It's our margin. Um, it's how many new customers we're bringing on. It's our retention rate. But actually, when you think about the services that are generally geared up by agencies, there is a heavy focus on CRO. And CRO, in a way, you know, when you start having that conversation about the wider business, feels very narrow. And I think that's the realization that we have when we talk with brands is that actually, well, you know, we've been plugging away trying to improve the conversion rate for so long. And yeah, we've had some wins, we've had some losses, but actually, what about all of the other things that go in there? in terms of retaining our best customers. Who are our best customers? Can we improve the margin on the product? Can we improve the margin on the service? So all of those questions that we then ask now when we talk to brands, I think what it does is that it's a, I think e-commerce directors and managers particularly feel a bit more heard because you know as e-commerce managers will know over the past two years, that role is very different to what it was before. You know, now you are expected as an e-commerce manager director to, yes, obviously think about the actual store itself, but obviously about digital marketing, about products, about warehousing, about fulfillment, about customer retention. There is so much that is going on. And it's almost in a way, it's almost like a bit of a therapy session when we talk about CBO because they realize that as an agency, rather than just maybe looking at that one quite small singular metric, that's going to have an impact on the company, they can now say to an agency, hey, you can actually help us with essentially six or seven core metrics that will help us grow the company for the long run, run that being a very short term, you know, let's look at the next three months kind of idea. Whereas here, what we're saying is let's look at, yes, the next three months, but what about then the nine months and maybe the 24 months that follow that? So I think it, it's that kind of switching on moment that, Yes, you feel heard as a brand when you focus on CBO with your agency. Um, but secondly, it's also the fact that they know that an agency now can do more for them and help them with more parts of the business. Yeah, I think uh, one, uh, one aspect regarding what you've just said is that uh, e-commerce uh, managers are... Uh, as, as they are struggling nowadays with the customer acquisition costs going up, they, uh, they, they really need partners which are getting their entire business model. So it's not only about, we will help you send emails, we will help you spend money on ads, we will help you, because that's, that's not the end goal. If you, if you think about it, what, what the companies really want, what the e-commerce managers really want, they want partners which are getting their business model and they can help, it, help them to, to make progress with uh, with their companies and uh, that, that's why I think uh, uh, an aspect that must be uh, must be discussed is how CLV is uh, uh, working for the company but also for uh, uh, your agency because you are coming from the uh, email marketing and now you are you are evolving to, to, to this more holistic approach to to, to e-commerce. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, 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 like you said, the big shift there was like for us is that, you know, people talk about North Star metrics, but, you know, essentially what, what I mean by that is that when we have a client come to work with us, what we are saying is, look, we, we see right now that your CLV is at this level. 
we think that actually your potential is to get to this level and this is what we're going to do with our CDO program with you. So I think, you know, the, the reason and, and the, the benefit of switching to that way is that it also means that we can use all of the skills in our company to get to that overall CLV number. So, you know, before, if you were purely talking about conversion rate optimization, you know, the heavy lifting, I guess, is going to be with the designers, um, the developers, and, you know, maybe the strategists to an extent. But when you're looking at CLV, you're actually bringing all the expertise across an agency in because you all then kind of have a common goal. And I think this is the thing with, with CDO and that when brands switch onto it, in terms of internally as a company, it's actually a very good glue that holds that company together. Because then what you have is that if you are a brand that is saying, right, we're no longer a company that is just looking at, you know, sales month to month or conversion rate, what it is over the past 90 days, you're actually saying, look, we have a wider goal here that everyone could contribute to. And I, I think that is a, actually a much better way to position an econ brand from an internal operations perspective, because it just means that you have something bigger that everybody can contribute to. Yeah, and uh, I think that also gives the, uh, makes the company aware about the, their customers, because uh, we, we all know this, that if we are pissed off on a company, on a certain company, we're not going to come back to buy from that particular company. We all know how important are these relationships as consumers. However, for me, it's puzzling how come the e-commerce leaders don't get how important it is to, to verify if their customers are, 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 are happy enough. Because uh, from their satisfaction comes all the growth, yeah? the word of mouth, the customer retention, the future uh, profitability, because nowadays you can't uh, break even on the first uh, order anymore. I mean, there are a few brands which have the, this luxury to break even or to be profitable from the first purchase of a customer. And it's, uh, this is pure math. However, there are a few uh, e-commerce leaders which are monitoring this, uh, uh, this thing. And my question for you, Adam, is why do you think the, uh, the, the market is, uh, uh, is as it is? I mean, we, we, we know that the customer acquisition costs are through the roof. We know that there is a lot of competition. We know that we as consumers want to, be, to feel like a company cares about us. However, there are, the, the adoption is not there yet. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the, the whole thing here really is, you know, as an industry for, you know, look, let's think about e-commerce as kind of a 20-year-old industry now, per se. I mean, look, it's probably a little bit older, but in that time, we've been obsessed with, with data, haven't we? With, with quantitative numbers, data, what this rate is, what that rate is. And you know, it's not it's not everyone's fault in e-commerce because naturally, you know, you you look at it as more of a okay, well, we need to look at what these numbers are, and then we tweak things to try and change the numbers. But ultimately, we're in we're in a I guess a part of e-commerce now where there is this absolute fascination with what data we can get and can't get. But the funny thing to me is, and I think this is you know when I first started to talk to you is. Because of, there is so much focus in CBO on the qualitative side of data, you actually realize how dumb we've been for such a while <laughs> by sitting on this absolute bloody gold mine of information from our customers that we don't get. 
And, you know, I, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a brand that I've been going now for about 15 years. And I, I literally had to throw a comment of, look, you know, when was the last time that you went out and sent a very simple customer survey to ask your best customers what they thought of your brand? And the guy spoke and said, well, never. And, you know, at that very basic level, these kind of things aren't being done. And look, I get it. You know, look, people think that these things need to be very time consuming. We've seen that they don't need to be. Um, I think also as well is that, yes, it's going to take you some time to analyze that and see what information you're getting back. But if you are prepared to go and put $10,000, $20,000 a month into Facebook with now limited ability to or, or less uh, a more limited ability to find the customers that you need why would you not transfer some of that budget from acquisition to actually look at your own customers to a not only sell more to those existing customers but b become more efficient in your acquisition because by doing that process of, a, of something like a jobs to be done survey or a customer survey you know you are going to have all of that at your disposal and it's almost, for me, a bit of a game changer because it means then that not only are you verifying what you've done and, and whether you believe that your customers use your product in the way that you think you do, um, but it also then gives you then that, that information and um, resource to go out and create marketing materials off the back of it. So you know, my, my honest advice here is that if you are not using qualitative data and you're, you're not grabbing it right now, be brave give it a go, start small and grow from there because you will be absolutely amazed at what you can get back from even interviewing 10 customers. It's got to be the right customers, but you know I, I've been involved within jobs to be done surveys and, and in customer surveys, and it is absolutely mind-blowing the understanding that you get from that. Yeah, if you think about it, Adam, it's so funny that uh, we as marketers, if you think in real life, you know, like uh, we we as marketers, we we look at the trails that the the com customers got to 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 buy some I don't know ice cream. We look at how many got to the ice cream uh, part of the supermarket. We we know what kinds of ice creams they've bought, how long it took them to get from the ice cream department to the cashier's desk. We know all of those things, but we don't ask the real customers, hey, why have you considered to buy this particular vanilla ice cream today? And it's mind-blowing that this qualitative part of the data is giving, it, it, it's so, uh, it's enriching in, in, in the opportunities that you have in order to position your brand differently, to acquire different customers, to, to basically fix a lot of things, not only the marketing, but maybe the product assortment, maybe the customer journey itself. However, the adoption, again, is not there because and my personal opinion is that we've been all hypnotized about the quantitative data, like uh, Google Analytics. It shows you everything you want to know. Well, it's not everything you want to know about your visitors nor your customers, and it's just a source of data, but it, because it was so, let's say, easy to, to deploy it, and then you've got the habit of consuming the data from Google Analytics, you, we, we've all got into this trap of believing that this, uh, this is enough while it's never enough. And I think the, the current times where, uh, where brands are uh, struggling more than uh, they've did in the past, uh, 
that's going to force them to appreciate and to nurture their uh, their customers more. And as you've said, it's not only about retaining them. It's not only about treating them better for better word of mouth. It's also about extracting the copy from their own uh, mouths, you know, because they are saying they are they are literally writing the copy for your email marketing uh, campaigns, for your uh, banners, for your ad campaigns, for your landing pages. But we know better, and we, God forbid, to 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 ask them. Uh, why don't you tell us, Adam, regarding the the, the customer research? Uh, what happens after? I mean, we maybe we should. Uh, uh, let our audience know because we we talk a lot about these things. But what what is your agency doing once you 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 finish the customer research? So you you do the jobs to be done, interviews. You you do the qualitative research with the surveys. What what uh, what's next? Mm -hmm. So the the main thing really is that once that piece is done, and you know, just if you're not familiar with jobs to be done surveys, essentially what you are doing here is that you are picking out different types of customers from your customer base um, who exhibit the best traits. So in CBO, we use something called RFM, so recency, frequency, and monetary. And what this basically does is it categorizes your customers with a number, out, usually out of five, for how recently they have purchased from you, how frequently they've purchased from you, and from a monetary value, how much they've effectively spent. So obviously, you can imagine from that, you then go and find those customers who have essentially the highest scores and you can break them down into different categories. And if you want some more information on that, go and check out OmniConvert. There's a couple of great blogs on there. But from those groups, we would then say, right, we want to find out from these people who are buying a product already, who buy most recently, bought most frequency and spend the most money, what is the actual thing that they are using this product for? So if we go back to, for example, Valentin's, uh, you know, ice cream example there. Ultimately, the crux of what we're trying to do with that ice cream brand is to try and find out from those best customers, what is that ice cream being used for? Is it being used for a birthday party? Is it being used for a snack after work each day? Because, hey, look, you know, it gets you through the day. What are the, what's the actual job that is doing? How is it fulfilling you as a customer? Now, if you think about, you know, some of the best marketing campaigns that you, you can probably come to mind, I'm sure, you know, that Apple will probably be in there with the, the whole, you know, 10,000 songs in your pocket. If you think, you know, about that and that messaging, that is the kind of messaging then that we would then want to implement with a client. So if we've done that jobs to be done survey, what we're then going to do is say, right, from a number one email marketing perspective, what can we use from that job that needs to be done within our initial email flows to actually show these, these customers, okay, right, the job that this is going to help you to do is this thing rather than it just being about, right, here is the products, here are the features. Equally, you know, if you think back to, I guess, more traditional CRO, if we think about product pages and we think, for example, about product descriptions, can you use then that job and that reasoning and I guess, you know, what we would call uh, in sort of CBO, that, that struggling moment, can you use that within the description of that product? Can you use that in the key benefits of that product? Because what you're then doing is that you're going back, I guess, more to this very, um, you know, sort of uh, data-driven CRO type focus, 
But what you're doing is instead of inserting ideas and guesswork, you're inserting information that's come from your own best customers to test that out. So I think, you know, the, there's another message here is that, you know, when you see CBO, you, you might be sitting here listening to this going, well, look, CBO is another acronym. Do we need another acronym? What does it mean? Realistically, guys, you know, what it means here is that the things that you're doing currently from a CRO perspective, a lot of that isn't going to change. But what you do have now is that before you wouldn't have had necessarily the qualitative research and that element that you can then bring into that. So it's opening up so much more with your traditional CRO that you're doing currently because it is giving you rather than you guys sat around a table if you're a brand or an agent again, hey, look, what about this idea or this idea? You're driving those ideas from the actual best customers in the company. And that for me is why it just makes such a lot of sense when you think about moving to CBO because it, it actually cuts down your work as a brand from that, you know, let's come up with new ideas, let's keep it fresh and exactly the same for agencies as well. Yeah, I love it. One, uh, one important aspect for, for our audience uh, today is that if you want to learn more about CVO, we also have, uh, uh, you can go to cvoacademy.com where we have this, uh, uh, this deal which is available these days. So basically you can get uh, a 50% discount that's uh, $374 instead of $749. Not to mention that we're going to raise the price after this campaign because we've got numerous uh, people saying that you know what? This is uh, this is uh, a no-brainer. So it's it's too cheap, and it uh, it feels like the value is not uh, is not there. While it's more than uh, than you are getting. So if you want to learn more about CVO, if you want to become a CVO expert, uh, go check uh, CVOacademy.com uh, out. Uh, that being said, interrupting our uh, commercial, uh, Adam, let's uh, let's look a bit about the actual campaigns that you can do based on the based on the RFM segment. So we all know, we all know, uh, our audience uh, uh, maybe knows that it's not only about the acquisition, but we also have uh, the onboarding phase, we have the prevention phase, we have the reactivation phase. Tell us about your favorite, uh, favorite CVO uh, campaigns. Yeah, I mean, look, for me, I am a big fan of prevention campaigns. Um, and, you know, if, if we kind of, you know, take this back, you know, a step, I guess, for a moment, if you think about prevention, you know, what we are talking about here is that when you're looking at that RFM data, you're looking at those people who pretty much are about to churn, people that are showing in terms of by their RFM categorization, they maybe haven't purchased that recently, they haven't purchased that frequently, and their monetary, uh, um, I guess, score is relatively low. Now, I think what's interesting here is, you know, that if you think about that kind of customer, someone, you know, who is probably, you know, not necessarily out there looking to shop with you again, uh, and maybe someone who is essentially going to churn, what are the different options that you have? Um, now, typically, you know, what you would say, I guess, if you were looking at this is, well, look, we're going to throw a discount out there. Um, we're going to tell them that they are going to um, be coming off the emailing list. And you kind of say, okay, well, yeah, you know, fine, we can run that. But the nice thing is here is that when you are working with this kind of CBO mindset, what you're also then armed with is also with that qualitative data that you've got from things like your jobs you've done surveys, your customer surveys, your NPS scores. And 
all of that then, again, is arming you with ideas that you can have for your prevention campaign. So um, one particular example I will share is that we had, um, you know, one brand that we were looking into who basically were a baby products brand. And the thing with the baby products is obviously, look, you know, over a period of time, there is naturally going to be a point at which that customer is then obviously going to exit. But with this particular brand, what they've done is that they then bought in a child's wear line. Now, for the prevention campaigns that we had with them, what we knew from their jobs to be done surveys was that actually the reason that they were buying these products is because ultimately they wanted their child to be the comfiest that they could possibly be. That was the job that essentially being done. It was all about that child's comfort because they didn't want them wearing clothes on an uncomfortable day. They didn't want any irritation on their skin from things like eczema. So what we basically did with that prevention campaign is we said, well, hey, look, when it comes to those customers, what we'll do in there is actually remind the customers of that particular idea. So the prevention campaign, the prevention campaign for that was basically almost, I guess, like a short movie which was about all these kind of moments between the parents and child, about the parent looking after, caring for, nurturing, making sure that they're okay. And that was basically used as a centerpiece for that prevention campaign. So that, you know, in essence, is again here, if you compare that as a, as a way of trying to bring those customers back into your, your company versus while saying, hey, look, we're going to give you 20% off, you know, it, it's not going to take a rocket scientist to work out well which one's going to be the most compelling to the customer. So that for me is, you know, why the whole piece of CBO needs to work as one core offer that a brand is going to give to its customers. One aspect that it's uh, just a second to play with the <laughs> with the video. So one uh, one aspect that I think it's. Uh, also crucially important at, uh, important at the uh, prevention campaigns is, uh, uh, is also to make sure that the customers continue to extract value out of your product. So basically, and, and that it's heavily dependent on the type of uh, shop that you have. So basically, if you have, I don't know, just a few SKUs, it's clear that you can't diversify your offer too much. But if you have more SKUs, one analysis, which is off the shelf in our, in our technology, uh, is the one that shows you what are the chances to place another order after buying this product, the first. And when you see these affinities between the products, then you can build this type of journey where you are coming with the suggestions with products that are suitable, are relevant to the uh, customer. And one, one crucial aspect is, uh, is, as you've said, is to, to help them continue to make progress with, your, uh, uh, with the products that, that you're selling. Uh, Adam, I'm not a big fan of the reactivation campaigns, even though if you think about it, and the backstory is this one. So when I've started RFM, it was 2015, and I've made this uh, SQL query with, uh, with Mate, one of my, my right arm, my partner in crime in the data part of the things that I'm convert. And we were looking at the data and our initial thought was, you know what, these guys, it was a, it was a shoe retailer. They had something like 500,000 customers. And we realized how many of those customers have bought again? I mean, it, was, it all started with a question. And then 
I've uh, I recalled about the RFM model and I've said, okay, let's let's do this extra mile for this customer. And if you're a service provider, by the way, you can't unlearn things once you learn them. So if you have the opportunity to have a client which is struggling with something, go ahead and solve that because you will you will become smarter during this process. So don't don't shy away from doing the extra mile. That that's a tip for service providers. And we we looked at the, their data, and the, initially we thought. We've made the, the, the calculations in our heads. So out of uh, almost half a million uh, customers, there were only 50,000 which were uh, active at that moment. And we've said, you know what, if we can convince, and we've said uh, li like this, 20% of them to come back to buy again, that's going to triple their business. So let's do that. Uh, surpri the surprise, of course, was that we've, we've applied the RFM, we've made the campaigns, but guess what? The ones that we've convinced weren't the ones that were long gone, but were the ones that were in in betweens. So basically the ones that are not cold completely, but not warm as well, because the, the, the warm ones are still in the habit of, uh, of buying. So my, uh, my question for you is out of these uh, campaigns, uh, how, which, is the, which is the next one that you, you are... Uh, you appreciate and you are doing uh, uh, from, from the CVO campaign. So we've talked about the uh, prevention ones. Uh, what's, your, what's your take on the reactivation and the onboarding ones? Yeah, I mean, for me, onboarding is probably always going to be the most important one. I, I think, you know, it, it's, it, it's still enjoyable, I think, you know, to do. Um, but I think, obviously, there is, there is a lot more work that, I guess, kind of goes into the onboarding one. And I think you know, the, the thing with onboarding as well is that what we have to remember is with, with that stage is you are at that point not trying to be that salesperson for your company from a, a you know, here is product. It's still for me that onboarding phase of let's use the information that we know already about this person, collate more information from them in that process and warm them up to the customer so that they understand what this brand is actually about. Now, that is a very difficult thing, I think, to do as a business owner. And Valentin, look, you and I know this very well ourselves, is that when you have an opportunity to speak to a client, there is always that, you know, nagging voice at the back of your mind, let's sell to them, let's sell to them, let's sell to them. But, you know, like all, all probably business people that are, are listening to this, we've all made that same mistake and all, all, all got always got burned. And I think, you know, it's exactly the same when it comes to, to selling products with e-commerce. You have to kind of remove your set, try and remove that as much as you can from the back of your mind and say, right, what we are doing at this stage is that we're trying to create a relationship. We're trying to create this bond between us as a brand, as a product to this person who will then be in a position when we can then go a little bit more, let's say, harder, stronger on the sales messaging. Um, and I think you know, the other thing as well with onboarding is that it, it's also is it needs to be very dependent upon the product mix of the company. Because, you know, you, you often will see, you know, different guides being put out about, look, you know, the perfect onboarding experience, the perfect welcome experience. I think you know, there's, there's two things there that I always get a little bit nervous about one is that a lot of those tend to be all around one channel so for example look, while email yes of course is always important and it's an important part of cbo what else are you doing as part of that onboarding process um of that onboarding campaign 
in terms of other channels. So for example, is there any way that you can personalize your site? Are there SMS um, offers or, or SMS um, communications you can have with that client? Is there something you can do with your on-site messaging service customer support? So all of these things where you are effectively being seen by that customer, that all of your customers are interacting with, what is going on with those? And I think the other part of it too is that in terms of that product mix, if you are a company that, like you say, only has four to five SKUs, then actually, you know, you have a little bit of a risk there in the sense of, right, you have to really develop that relationship to then get them to buy. And then also in terms of extracting value out of that customer, you've then also got to work out, right, when they buy again. But uh, the third point is, how can you get that customer to give you other customers through referrals, affiliates, um, and also, you know, in, in terms of, well, how do you use data from that customer to better acquire other customers? So I think when you do have a small number of SKUs, you almost need, I think, to put more into the onboarding campaign about being at the relationship and making that as interactive as possible than if maybe you're a company with, say, a thousand SKUs, because, look, ultimately, you've got more opportunities then, more angles that you can try and get that customer to buy with. So I think, you know, it's, it, it is an important one, but it does take good planning and good understanding of who your customers are, what they want. And again, I know I keep saying, but what is the thing that your product is going to do for them? Yeah, in, uh, uh, indeed, the, uh, the, this aspect regarding the process that they are coming through, it's, uh, it's crucially important. And many brands think that when they sell a product, everything will be okay because marketing was supposed to uh, ship orders to the brand, you know? And, and, and I think this is the mentality that needs to be shifted. When, when someone is buying a product for the first time, if you do marketing, not advertising, because it's a it's a difference between advertising and marketing, right? So if you do marketing, you also take care about what's going on post-purchase. Because when you sell a product, you're not selling, you're selling the promise. You're selling the, uh, the uh, a future uh, state where you have the product and you're going to, I don't know, be... Uh, feeling better, feeling better about who you are or fulfilling your need. But onboarding is part of the product experience as well. So if you're, if you're selling, I don't know, these uh, freaking headphones without the instructions or without some tips, there are simply the product and you expect the customer to get it. But uh, many times when you are selling a product, customers don't get it. And it's your job and it's part of the product experience itself to instruct the, pro the customer to make progress in their life uh, with your product. So basically that's why I love the onboarding campaigns because it's, uh, uh, it's such an important moment. It's such a crucial moment when you are, you can demonstrate that it's not only about we've got your money, bye-bye Mr. Customer. It's also about, hey, you've got the product in your hands now. Here's how to use it. Here's how to extract value. Take care about uh, this uh, free aspects or whatever, because many brands are com are very confused about the role of the first messages, and they still and I get it in a in a manner. I get why they they state we are this brand, we are uh, fifty years old, we are selling socks since uh, it was uh, the uh, the post war 
period or whatever. But it's not that because nobody cares about your brand. I mean, let's face it. When you care about the brand, only after the brand delivered value to you. And also maybe the brand marketers are going to curse me now or, uh, or uh, I don't know. But the brand is overvalued. So when you don't have, you, when you haven't brought value in the life of a consumer, of a customer, then you can't expect that your brand is going to be valued. I mean, you can, you can name this pen however you want. If it's not going to write, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what is the brand of this pen. So the, uh, the branding is a game which you, of course, have to pay to differentiate yourself also through a great name, which is relevant and is memorable. But it all starts with the right product, with satisfying the client, the customer. And if you do this, then the brand is going to grow because we, we all see the love brands, right? So we, we, we all admire some brands, but think of it. Do you admire that brand because of the brand or because of the value that the company is shipping through that brand to you as a, uh, as a customer? And basically onboarding means helping the customer extract the value, consume the product and make uh, uh, his life or her life uh, better. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you know, one of the things you know, I think back to, you know, when when I first did um, you know, the, the CBO course for you guys is that, you know, kind of thinking about that kind of customer journey and, and looking at that buyer's remorse phase. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a going back to what I was saying before is, you know, as a business owner, we, when we sell something, celebrate essentially once those credit card details are put in. But from the customer's point of view, their journey has only actually just started. They don't really have in their mind much of a, I guess, kind of a, a, a really happy moment because ultimately we've all done it. You, know, you go and buy that you know, shirt or you go and buy that new dress and you walk out the shop and you're thinking, ah, is it going to fit? Have I spent too much? Um, you know, What's my partner going to say? All of these things. So what our job to do is, as people that are trying to get these customers onboarded, is to help those customers get over that buyer's remorse as quickly as possible. And like you were saying, you know, with the, the post-purchase activity that you then do, Valentin, it's so critical because that early part of the relationship that you've got, if it's not done well, that is going to significantly limit your ability to get more spending from that customer and get that CLV where you want it to be. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's such a hard thing because you, you have to try as a business owner to t get out of your own head of that benefit of those dollars going into your bank account and get into the head of the customer who's saying that journey's only just begun. And I think it takes time to, to switch over your mindset to think that way. Yeah, for sure. And it's a, it's a process that, uh, and usually the smaller brands are impatient. The larger brands are hiring uh, specialists, which are not so open-minded. So I think change is, uh, is a tedious process that the company should, uh, should go through. The good news is that uh, the struggle uh, helps them realize that they need to change their ways. And uh, basically with, uh, without the struggle, there is no, uh, real progress right so that that's the 
that's the best part when you're when you're in pain is that uh, uh, progress is on its way. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's that's an important aspect to understand. So, Adam, going uh, going further about the uh, the acquisition phase. Uh, in 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 acquisition, there are of course some uh, some moments. So basically, we 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 craft messages, we use ads, we use SEO, we use, use social media, whatever. How how do you see CVO covering the acquisition part? Because there are many voices that think that CVO is only only about retention, uh, and, and is not also about conversion and uh, and acquisition. So what what would would you respond to those voices? Yeah, I mean, I was I was going to start swearing then, Valentin, but I won't. I mean, look, <laughs> the thing that annoys me the most about discussion on LinkedIn in particular is this whole idea of retention versus acquisition, which is most important. And th- the reason that it really annoys me is because twofold. One is that I think there is always going to be misinformation for people that say that one is more important than the other. Um, and I think secondly, is that it's this, this kind of theory that they are in competition with one another, when in reality, what they should be doing is working together and you should be actually balancing the two out when your needs are. So, you know, for example, you know, if, if we take Facebook ads for, uh, you know, a, a starting point, what, you know, has tend to happen in the past few years is that what you would do is you go out and say, right, okay, um, my ideal customer is in this location and it is gender and likes these particular brands. You run those ads, you bring some cheap traffic in, you convert a handful of them, and then you say, great, well done, fantastic, you move on, and you repeat the process again. The, the problem is, like we all know now, is that the level of targeting that you can do has changed. And secondly, that way of working is actually very inefficient for, for two main reasons. The one is that actually when it comes to what you are needing to do from an acquisition point of view is you want to essentially duplicate those people that you have who are already customers of your company. Because what you've got there is these people are people that resonate with our brand, that buy of our brand. And you can also pick the best customers that you effectively want to duplicate. So I think that's the first thing is that when you have your RFM segmentation in place, you can then use those groups of customers and then take those into Facebook and then run off the back of that lookalike audiences based on those customers that you have that exhibit the kind of traits that you need who have bought from you previously. So it's not about CVO saying, look, put all of your cash, put all of your efforts into retention. What it's actually about is saying, be more efficient with your acquisition by using data from your retained customers, plus the qualitative data that you have about customers as well. So it's just, you know, it's not that simple thing of turn off acquisition, turn on retention. It's actually about saying, right, let's swap out maybe a little bit of the budget initially from acquisition, put that into retention, and on top of that, be more efficient in that spending that is then left over from acquisition using the data that we have. We're always going on in e-commerce about how data-driven we are and this, that, and the other. There's a lot of BS because you know a lot of the time there's a ton of data that doesn't get used. So why don't we just actually stop this facade about being data-driven and start using data that is literally sat in Clavio, that is literally sat in OmniConvert, is literally sat in your back end of Shopify 
to not only go and find customers who are more likely to buy from an acquisition point of view, but secondly, by talking to those customers, sell more to them and increase the value of the company. I, I know I'm probably, you know, making like it sound like it's simple. It absolutely isn't. But from a starting point, if you can have that as your mentality, that's the way you can balance the both with CBO. Yeah, I guess uh, it's uh, it's more than clear at uh, at this moment that uh, uh, CVO is not a nice to have endeavor for for e-commerce brands. So because many times companies are are, are thinking, what's this new acronym? I'm already doing SEO. I'm already investing in TikTok. I'm already doing CRO. What's this new thing? But uh, I guess it all starts and ends with the with the customer and the the. The customer value optimization endeavor is the, uh, I think it should be on top of a, any e-commerce leader which, which wants to grow in 2023 because without the proper uh, customer research, without the proper data, then you are shooting in the dark and uh, that's, that's not a strategy anymore. Uh, as it's too, way too expensive, not only to acquire customers, but to, I don't know, keep the lights on. Mm. So... Uh, uh, I guess that's uh, that, that's where this conversation leads to is where do you see CVO going uh, going further? So how how do you envision the future of uh, of this uh, category, this this approach to to grow e-commerce companies, Adam? Mm. I mean, look. Ultimately, you know, my view on CVO is that if you if you look at the actual, I guess, tactical things that you're going to be doing here in CVO. Many e-commerce brands and many agencies will have a lot of the skills to implement those tactics. I think that's the first thing to say. There will be some areas where you'll need to bolster and you'll need to bring maybe, you know, different people in or whatever it might be. But ultimately, the things that you are doing on a tactical level are, you know, broadly the same to me what you're doing now with some gaps. The thing is, though, with CVO, what it's doing is it is giving you a much better framework to work into that is going to make you more efficient and is actually going to get you to that CLV number that you want, you need it to be at. So whether you are in a company that is has investors, whether you're a company that is looking to sell in X amount of years, or maybe actually you're just looking at it from the perspective of we want to be able to actually, you know, for example, you know, pay our staff better or as a business owner, earn more money from this organization or this, this, this um, avenue that we've gone down. All of those things are basically being set up for you here with this CVO process. I think the, the thing that we need to do is to, first of all, when it comes to CVO, presently, we need to get over this almost, I guess, sort of semi-fear of qualitative data. And, you know, by doing, by dealing with it more and by asking more questions of customers, we will get over that. And then effectively, then what will happen, I think, after that period is that the brands that are actually going to grow in the longer run will be adopting this kind of full business approach because there is a need to now. Whereas if you are just approaching from a very, you know, high level, light touch approach from a conversion rate perspective, those companies are going to fall away because if you think about the practicalities of the day-to-day of what customers are like, we all know that customers expect more in terms of, you know, customer service, the value that brands give, the product types that are there, the reaction um, to um, requests from customers. 
all of those things ultimately are not just about your product page and how your product page works. It's about the whole organization of the company. And that's what CVO is going to bring to the table. So if you have companies that are operating this kind of, you know, full business CVO approach, they are going to be the ones that are going to win because ultimately they'll be able to serve their customers better than those brands that are just thinking about, or, Hey, you know, let's throw a few emails out there and, do a little bit of CRO now and again. It just it for me, they are two completely different opposite ends of the scale. Yeah, I I think you're uh, you're you uh, uh, you're you're addressing a very very important uh, thing here, Adam, which is uh, which is related to the let's say to the adoption of the customer lifetime value as a north star metric. So if we think about it. There are many companies which are operating with silos. So we have the email marketing team, we have the social media marketing team, we have the merchandising, we have the customer service, we have whatever, the sourcing, fulfillment, you name it. And all of those parts, all of those components within a retailer are best to be in sync, right? However, there are many times when they have, uh, let's say, misaligned KPIs or even conflicting KPIs. So... Uh, uh, there are there are moments when let's grow the conversion rate. Yeah, but what about the margin? Says the CFO. And there is this metric if you if you can adapt it, if you can measure it, and if you can monitoring, which is showing the health of the entire organization. So basically, it's a company-wide measure of success to see that the CLV is going up. And there are many contributors to the to, to the CLV. There is the uh, email marketing team, right? So if you do your job well, you can make the customers come back, but it's also the merchandising team. If you don't slash those prices like crazy and if you stay right where you should be staying in terms of price policy, maybe the CLV will go up. Uh, also is the fulfillment, right? If we, if we shift the orders. But, but So basically there are many contributors to, to, to having a company with, uh, with, with high CLV. However, in order to, to get there, uh, I guess the leaders, the retail leaders are the ones that should adopt the customer lifetime value. And, uh, uh, and my question for you, Adam, is how can we convince more people to adopt it? I mean, because uh, the, the more time go, well, uh, goes by, the more I realize that uh, at, at the e-commerce level, that there's something, but uh, for, for an omnichannel retailer, for instance, their leaders, they are not even aware about the impact that CLV can have. They are not even aware about the, the data that they can collect and actually leverage to improve the whole organization's performance because it's not only about the e-commerce. It's also about extracting insights about your customers, which are some, let's say, they are, they are giving you clues about what to push into the market and you can adapt this uh, uh, on 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 your brick and mortar stores as well, not only on the online channels. Yeah, I mean, I think look, the the way I would would address this, you know, it, if if you're talking about you know a CEO of a brand, is that you know every CEO of of a brand will have different departments coming to them with different ideas about things they want to do. So you know, you might have marketing, you know, coming to CEO and saying, look, actually, we want budget to this campaign. Um, because we think we can bring, you know, X amount of customers in. You're also then, you know, going to have the warehouse teams coming in and saying, well, actually, you know, 
um, from a perspective of warehousing, what we need to do uh, is increase the amount of racks that we've got and then have you know another production line in here so that we can pick and pack more orders. Now, as a CEO, you've then got to make those decisions about where is actually best to actually invest that money. And each one of those people that are coming to you will have a different metric in their mind of actually what needs to, to be done. Yeah. Now, the thing is that when you switch over to CBO, as a CEO, if you are there at the head of the company, like we effectively are with our clients, the same right, we are trying to increase the CLV of X brand. The area of CLV that we know we can make the most gains at the moment or is likely to give us the most gains is AOV. All of you guys in each department are going to come to me with ideas on how to improve AOV. Now, what you then get is that harmonization between the teams. And it's what I've seen internally within Blend is that prior to doing CBO, you would have a meeting about a client for on a retainer. And we say, look, we ultimately, we want to improve you know, the, the, the revenue or improve the conversion rate of this company. You would always have different members of the team saying, well, do this thing because it's AOV or do this thing because it's a conversion rate. When you set that precedent of, right, this is the core thing we are doing right now to improve CLV, that's when you get the teams working together. That's when you come out with better ideas. And ultimately, by doing that, you're focusing on the right parts of the business. It's not this scattergun approach of doing all these different activities, which obviously costs to do. It's got the time element in there. You're all basically working together for this common goal and everything that you're doing, so whether it is marketing, sales, wows, and fulfillment, they're all working towards it. And then, yes, okay, there might be a time when you say, look, right, we've, we've kind of happy with where our AOV is now. We don't think we can stretch it anymore. We now need to be thinking more about our purchase frequency. What do we do there? Again, you set that out to the teams of the challenge. So I think, you know, if you're a CEO, if you're having those, you know, constant meetings of, people come to you with different priorities of different things they feel need to be done. If you can essentially, you know, understand CBO and, you know, look, Valentin's course, this isn't a sales pitch, although it sounds like one, CBO, the course, is a great place to start. It will give you a, that understanding of, right, okay, I can see now how if I can direct each different department or each member of my team on each of these items, we're actually going to get to that win we want to, which is ultimately the CLV number, i.e. the value of that company in the long run. Excellent. So, Adam, I uh, uh, I think we're uh, we're moving very fast to the end of uh, this uh, this meeting together. Uh, please uh, uh, allow me to to let our audience know that we have this uh, this promotion at the CVO Academy. So. Uh, if you're feeling that you're wasting your real potential, it's time to level up your skills. So you can unlock the secrets of e-commerce. You can get recognized and admired by your peers. So instead of gaining frustrations, gain the know-how from world-class experts, master all e-commerce tactics from acquisition to retention, and learn the advanced strategies to discover innovative approaches that make you an A-level professional. So with the CVO Academy, you get access to the most advanced methodology to increase customer lifetime value brought to you by nine A players and practitioners in the, in the field. You can go to cvoacademy.com. That's C-V-O-A-C-A-D-M-Y.com. So that being said, Adam, thanks a lot for joining me into this episode of the CVO Live. And uh, if 
people want to get in touch with you, tell 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 us where where can the, the, they can get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. So just grab me on LinkedIn, Adam Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E. And uh, yeah, if you want to check out a little bit more about what we do at Blend, it's just blendcommerce.com. Excellent. And uh, thanks everyone for watching. Happy Thanksgiving, anyone from the US. And uh, see you in the next episode.